KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Everyone has songs they treasure, songs that evoke vivid memories and color different periods of our lives. Sometimes music even ends up shaping who we become. For Paola Villaseñor, Better known as the influential border artist Panca, music has been a lifelong companion whenever she's painting. So Panca recently stumbled upon her parents' cassette tape collection. When she opened up the case, the albums she saw in front of her, they portaled her back to her childhood home. Then I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember just like laying on the floor and like playing them. And there was... <laughs> Just things my parents listened to, Jose Jose. Juan Gabriel, that, uh, the Bellas Artes tape was there. That was like a classic. There was some Luis Miguel. Jose Perales. Quisiera decir, quisiera decir, quisiera decir tu nombre. Gloria Estefan. I think the Miami sound machine came out when I was at that age. I guess it was like my get up and dance song. I was like really into like singing as a little kid, so like that would get me going. <laughs> we all love music. It's a great uplifter, especially in times like the ones we're living through. So today, we're going to tell the story of one of our border region's most influential artists through the lens of music. Panca is a Chicana artist who was raised in Chula Vista and has now spent half of her life living in Tijuana. She has a very distinct and recognizable style that she describes as existential vomit. Panca's work really captures the beautiful chaos at the border here. Looking at one of her paintings, you'll see influences from both sides. I'm Alan Lilienthal, and you're listening to Only Here, a KPBS podcast about unexplored subcultures, creativity, and struggles at the U.S.-Mexico border. After the break, we talk to Panca about formative moments in her life and career and the songs that soundtrack them. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, 
we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Not long ago, when Panka was digging through her parents' old collection of cassettes, she had a little epiphany. She realized just how much her mom and dad's taste in music had influenced her. It was awesome because I was able to see why I'm such a nerd and like why I like, I mean, I love rock and roll and I love hip hop and everything, but I realized why I was like, why the hell do I like opera? You know, why do I like, like uh, classical music? There was one tape in the collection that really stood out. When I found the Los Panchos one, it really hit me because I remember, I actually remembered like admiring it, admiring it as a kid. Me voy pal pueblo, hoy es mi día, voy a alegrar todo el alma mía. Me voy pal pueblo, hoy es mi día. When I think of the most classic Latin ballads, Los Panchos are probably the first group to come to mind. The one song by them that Panca keeps coming back to is Me voy pal pueblo. First time I ever remember hearing that song was probably in my house and my parents were cooking and they'd always play music and that was like one of the tapes that they would always put on. I guess there was a lot of things that you lose when you move to another country and I think that growing up Music and um, movies were like a big thing that kind of connected me and my parents because, you know, my parents were born in the 40s and in the 50s in Mexico City and in Cuernavaca. So there wasn't a whole lot that I could connect with them. It was like little things like music. And when we would go back to Mexico every summer for like family trips or any type of family reunion, which is usually Christmas or summer, my parents really like kind of came into themselves and we were really Americanized at that point. We were not totally, we were like pretty pochos. We weren't allowed to speak English inside of my house, but I would connect with my mom and dad through like, you know, these songs and stuff. And um, it was kind of like a way to connect generations, you know? That song like resonates with me still because I ended up moving to Mexico, I think to like kind of chasing that r romantic dream. Panca's idea of Mexico wasn't always romantic, though. She grew up in Chula Vista in a Section 8 apartment until she was nine. When her parents could afford a house, they moved the family to Eastlake, a more well-off suburban part of South San Diego. As a lot of young teenagers do, Panca rebelled against her roots and her upbringing. She thought Mexican culture was too machista. But at the same time, she thought Eastlake was too manicured and perfect, too cookie-cutter American. It took her time to find a place where she really felt like she fit in. I went from living in an area that was like, there was legit problems going on. And then all of a sudden, I'm like 15, 16, driving around Eastlake. There's no Target. There's nothing. There's like golf courses. And like, we would draw wieners on the, on the grass and just like throw bubbles. Just like mayhem, stupid, dazed and confused stuff. And I just started thinking, this is fun. But I just realized how freaking sheltered and privileged I was in this like little area and I was just hungry for exposure 
of other things. So I started seeking out um, venues and places where I could go and meet people that were kind of in sharing, sharing this interest because I went to a school that was like, oh, my dad got me this car or I got this or, you know, and I, I didn't care about those things. I, you know, it was just like I didn't relate to too many kids. Punk music came at just the right time. Banca had just started getting into politics, and her teenage angst needed an outlet. The rawness of punk music can express frustration and pain way better than language can, especially for young people who feel things very intensely and are just figuring out how to process grown-up reality. First I got into Black Sabbath, and then my parents were like really worried. And then I went into like punk music, and I really liked the Sex Pistols. And then I really got into the Ataris. Back then it was like, I don't know, I was like 14, so it was like, ugh, all this teen angst. (laughs) The thing about San Diego, though, is there aren't many punk venues if you're underage. There's the Che Cafe, which Banca would go to a lot in high school, and others that have come and gone over the years, but the options have always been pretty limited. In Tijuana, though, it's a totally different world. Punk venues have always had a place here. And if you're a teenager who's hungry for new experiences and raw energy and a little danger, it really doesn't get much better. In Eastlake at the time, there was a call center called MDI. That place paid you bank like you would get paid like 13 bucks 12 bucks an hour because you were bilingual and I didn't speak Spanish that great and there I met one of my best friends Monchis and he didn't speak Spanish that well I mean English so like we would constantly just make fun of each other and then eventually became really good friends and he was like oh you can't get into anything in SD why don't you come to you know TJ come to TJ come to TJ I met a, f- a friend there, and she was a little, like, one or two years older than me, and she started sneaking me into Porky's at 16, 17 years old. So that's how I got kind of taken to TJ. Porky's always had that eternal sing playlist, you know? It was, like, 80s, like, new, new wave and, you know, a little dark, Depeche Mode, that kind of stuff. You know, all the good stuff, The Cure. My parents knew about it, you know, they were kind of like, ugh, it wasn't, you know, so bad in TJ yet, but I mean, I was being honest with them, I was like, hey, I'm going to TJ, I'm going with these older friends, and they'd be like, hey, we're going to take care of her, don't worry, and they were, they were stand-up friends, you know, so my parents were sort of okay with it. These early trips to Tijuana would prove to be pretty monumental for young Panca. Her growing interest in politics had inspired her to get to know where she came from and to be proud of that. The more she went to Tijuana, the more she fell in love with the energy of the city. This was at a time when Tijuana's creative scene was starting to establish reputation around the world. Norte Collective, 
a group of musicians and artists who blended electronic music with Norteño-inspired sounds, was taking off. And even though Panka hadn't committed herself to becoming a full-time artist yet, these early encounters with other artists were planting the seed. I was about 17 when Nortec was like kind of like hitting. I remember they played at Las Pulgas. It was this crazy show. It was so cool. And I snuck out with my friend from high school. Like there was the line around like all revolution. It was so nutty. To see that, and then I remember I left San Diego and TJ, I went to Portland. When I came back, I was just like, when I was in Portland, I would listen to the Nordic CD. And I was like, oh my God, I wanted to come back. And when I came back and I got really invested into like the music scene, and I started meeting a lot of these guys and working alongside a lot of the people and realized how connected they were to the community still. Like, yeah, they're really famous and stuff, but they still play for their friends at parties and pretty humble and decent people. And so I kind of saw that whole do-it-yourself energy. And during the time, there was a thing called Radio Global. Radio Global was the first internet radio station in Tijuana. It was very influential in the city from the early 2000s through about 2010. And more than just music, Radio Global was more like a creative collective. They organized and promoted concerts, art festivals, and other events. And part of what made them so popular was their focus on graphic design. For a while back in the day, it felt like Radio Global stickers, flyers, and posters were everywhere in Tijuana. Like you couldn't walk out of your house without seeing at least one or two. And Panka was part of that. She helped spread the Radio Global brand through its visuals. It was very, very inspiring for me to, one, kind of become part of this like creative group that partied, but also put like art into the, I don't know, it wasn't like, yeah, come party. It was like, oh, we're doing these stickers and there's these characters. And it was, it was awesome, you know? And their thing was to put stickers everywhere. So one day, you know, I ended up going to New York and they were like, hey, you got those stickers. And I was like, yeah. So I'm in New York putting stickers up and I go, I should be doing this with my artwork at some point. And that's kind of where I, boop, like right there. <laughs> Panka came back from New York super inspired by street art and ready to work on developing her own style. Tijuana had been left pretty deserted by years of drug violence, so Panca and other artists had the entire city as a blank, concrete canvas on which they could experiment. She started running around with some friends and putting up tags, wheat pasting, adding some color to an otherwise gray city. They'd go out in the middle of the night and even learn police schedules so that they could time their tagging while the police were changing shifts. She was almost always the only girl in the crew. This period was really the first time Panka had started putting her art up publicly. And as unofficial and probably illegal as it was, it began solidifying the style she has come to be known for. It's a style she calls existential vomit. What I really love about Panka's art is how colorful and alive her work is. She uses these bright pastels that are very common in Mexico, and the little worlds she creates are always super textured and chaotic. 
In the forefront, though, there's always some kind of grotesque creature that is imperfect and sometimes doing ugly things like throwing up or bleeding or things you don't normally want to look at. But somehow she paints it in a very friendly and joyful way and you just want to be friends with these creatures. I sometimes look back, like the other day I was watching an episode of Ren and Stimpy and I know Ren and Stimpy is like Canadian and they have like a lot of really dark humor. Why Ren? Don't you know? It's Yaxmas Eve, the shabbiest day of the year. What I loved about Ren and Stimpy at the time was like, and I go, oh, that totally molded my personality was like the cagar el palo or to be a little bit like you know like kind of laugh at the american way of life and the, you know all that stuff and i definitely identified with it because i kind of was living it a little bit look how i've prepared in hopes that good saint teats will choose our lawn to pass out on and i've placed all our valuables in the middle of the room for easy access <laughs> when are you going to grow up and realize that this weasel teats crap is for the feeble-minded. If you've never seen Ren and Stimpy, it's a cartoon from the early 90s where a psychotic chihuahua and a dumb cat have a series of unusual adventures. And visually, the cartoon became known for zooming in on these really gross things like Stimpy's hairballs or Ren's rotten teeth. It's easy to find the influences of Ren and Stimpy in Panka's work. She says moving to Tijuana and coming face to face with ugly realities that no one wants to look at, while at the same time loving the warm and welcoming energy that Tijuanenses are known for, is a dynamic that has hugely influenced her art. Do you listen to music when you're painting? All the time. I'm either listening to music or I'm playing a VHS in the background. And that's like a really weird thing that I have done since I was a kid. I mean, you probably grew up with VHS or some, you know, the TV. And so like, that's a very, it's almost like the TV took care of me. So like when I have the VHS on, even like the coming soon to video. Coming soon to own on video and DVD. Twilight Zone has been brought to you by Milk Wave Lilt. The new home permanent you mix with milk. The curls that start soft and stay lively. All that crap is like the most like, comforting thing ever because I feel like I'm still in my house and I'm still like you know like protected and stuff so it's like a weird thing where I remember being a little kid and just drawing for hours you know singles the soundtrack you'll find it everywhere on epic soundtracks how does the sound of the music or the VHS how does that that music influence the final piece of art or the flow of what you're painting I think where you can notice it the most is in my studio in Bread and Salt, because, good God, I'm so glad they're going to erase that wall. But, like, at some point, they were like, we want to preserve this wall. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys, please don't do that at all. Because, because the freaking wall is, like, a exhibition of craziness, you know? And I'm like, dude, this is what I was writing on the wall with, like, pressure and, and it was fear and pending doom feeling. And also, like, I would write down something somebody said in a movie that I was like, whoa. I was watching... Uh, Saturday Night Fever. I know payday is Monday. But every place else is Friday or Saturday. And they broke on Monday, boozing, whoring. Oh, come off. You can save a little. Build the future. There's a part where the guy is like, he's like, oh, oh fuck the, the future. future. No, Tony, you can't. And then the guy tells him, no, Tony, the, the future, future fucks you. you. <laughs> so stuff like that I would write on the wall.
um, you know, like a song, you know, like Chabela Vargas, No Soy De Aquí o No Soy De Allá. No soy de aquí, ni soy de allá, no tengo edad. And so that actually even became the background I wrote it into my painting. So it actually ends up being like the melody, the actual melody of my paintings. You know, a lot of my paintings have like quotes from the, these songs, these bands. Because of the colorful, cartoony nature of Panka's art, kids tend to really resonate with what she does. Before COVID hit and threw everyone's plans into a blender, Panka had been picked as the artist-in-residence at the New Children's Museum in San Diego. They had a lot of great plans for Panka-led community art-making workshops. So, of course, almost all of those plans have shifted. Everything's kind of changed because of the whole, you know, we can't be in crowds, when is the museum going to open? You know, there's obviously a lot of things changing because of the staff. And this was like a, a group thing. So now I'm working with mostly one person or about maybe less than five people. And we're doing like a Bob Ross kind of thing for kids. <laughs> I made like a, a world called El Masaya. And in this world, it's like there's some characters and these characters live here. And it's like I created the world and um, the characters, and every week I show kids how to draw it, pretty much, like Bob Ross. <laughs> I thought today we'd just do a very simple little scene that I hope you'll enjoy. Let's start with a little two-inch brush, and we just load a little bit right into the bristles. Which is kind of amazing, because I absolutely love Bob Ross, but I come nowhere near to his talent. <laughs> Imagination is it's, it's like any other muscle in your body, or like a muscle in your body. The more you practice, the better it becomes. Zoom can be kind of nerve-wracking, but after I hear like all these little voices go, thank you, and like you see their drawings, you're just like, oh my god. Like I'm trying like not to cry on camera because it's like the sweetest thing ever. Kids actually like come back to watch the next episode and they're actually pretty good. <laughs> Some kids are pretty good at drawing. So it's been really cool. For now, Panka is quarantined at home in Tijuana. She's still going out to do commission murals every once in a while and is also working on paintings for the new Children's Museum residency. She also just released a book of her artwork called Los Perdidos through Bread and Salt Press. Bread and Salt is a gallery and community space in Logan Heights. As prolific as she continues to be, sometimes Panka just paints things she'll likely never show the world. For her, it's a way to process all the challenges this world keeps throwing at us. I get really, really disappointed and I just, I look back at all the protests I've been to and I'm like, hell yeah, politics is in my work, but sometimes I have to like put it in the background. Right now in my studio, literally half of the studio is like, you know, the bright, colorful side, like this stuff. And then the other side, it's like, if you saw it, you'd be like, whoa, <laughs> it's just really, really like, there's literally a guy, like, a dead body, like, tied, and it's just, like, paintings that I... It's like, who the hell's gonna buy that? You know, like, it's just stuff that I do to get out, and I have it there, and, like, then I kind of cover it, but I'm glad I made it, and it's really good, but at the same time, sometimes it's not to, I don't know, to show off. I just want to, like, expose it for what it is. Yeah. 
Sometimes Spanka's mind takes her to dark places, but somehow in her art, even the darkest imagery is made beautiful and colorful. When Panka is really feeling the heaviness, like she is right now because of the pandemic and the country grappling with systemic racism, she often turns to soul music. Music has been like the freaking Dumbo feather that, you know, that I hold since since I think I can remember. Um, I think the song that has been resonating with me mostly right now has been, um, and, and I've always loved, is Mercy, Mercy Me by Marvin Gaye. Panka's mom loved soul, and now Panka does too, because the music is so full of pain sometimes, but that's what makes it so absolutely gorgeous and moving. Panka's mom passed away when she was a teenager, but every time Panka hears soul music, memories of her mom come alive. I feel like she shaped, like, not my heart, but she, was, had, a, she had a really great heart and she didn't judge. And I loved how she would always expose you to music like that. This episode of Only Here was written and produced by Emily Jankowski, Kinsey Moreland, and myself, Alan Liliental. Emily Jankowski is the director of sound design. Lisa Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is the director of programming. We love hearing from you. Right now, we're looking for border stories about how the pandemic has impacted you. Give us a call at 619-452-0228 and leave a voicemail. Tell us who you are, where you live, and how COVID-19 has changed the way you live your life at the border. Again, the number is 619-452-0228. Thank you. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.